I've already had some people ask me, you know, what is Creation Ministries International? And we truly are international. That we have offices in seven countries on five continents. Our uh, Creation Magazine, which we'll talk about later, goes out to 120 countries. Uh, we have resources that are translated into over 26 different languages. Um, we employ more PhD scientists than any ministry in the world, and we speak in over 1,200 churches worldwide every year. Now, sounds kind of impressive, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's not actually what we're about. And let me see if I can explain that. How many of you, when you've been maybe out uh, sharing the gospel with someone, that you've had questions like this? What about the dinosaurs? Did God really create in six days, or could he have taken millions of years? Hasn't, hasn't science proven that evolution is a fact? Uh, how did all the animals fit on the ark? What about carbon dating? Where did the races come from, and why does a loving God allow death and suffering? Now, if you've had questions like that asked of you, would you do me a favor? Put your hand up in the air and look around the room. Look. See, this is the basis of our ministry. It's to give you an easy-to-understand answer to what many consider to be tough questions so that you can show people that the Bible does have answers. And a lot of people, you know, when you're trying to find the answer, you can find them on our website. And it's kind of hard to remember our URL. So I'm going to do a little science here, if you don't mind. I don't know if you know this, but if you say something audibly out loud, it's more apt to be imprinted into your brain. <laughs> so would you guys join me in saying this, please? Creation.com. Can you remember that? <laughs> well, if you were to go there this afternoon, you would find over 10,000 articles written by our scientists and professionals around the world, answering not just those questions, but many, many more. And let's say that you had a question. You know, or more important than that, maybe it's someone in your family, a child or grandchild or somebody that thinks you're a little idiotic for believing the Bible, challenging your faith. Well, chances are the answer is here. For example, you guys know this fellow, right? Got a, some tragic news a number of years ago. What happened? He was killed. How? A stingray to the heart. So people wrote into our ministry and they said, oh, yeah, well, why would a loving God create stingrays that can kill Gotcha. So you know what? I actually think it's a fair question. It's going back to Apologetics 101. And for those people that, that were in contact with our ministry that signed up for our email newsletter, they received this article only days after the event because our scientists are busy reacting to the news stories. And in only 10 days, this article became our most visited article ever because of believers like you were forwarding this on to their family and friends, showing them that there is a uh, a Christian, a biblical, and a scientific answer to what many consider to be tough questions. And am I right that there's challenges like this in the news all the time, you know, like the latest dinosaur discovery or that missing ape man that proves evolution to be true in the millions of years? Well, during that time, our scientists are writing a rebuttal to that. And if you want to become part of our ministry, I'd like to invite everyone here to sign up for our free email newsletter. It only comes out about once a week. So we're not going to spam you, but it's going to keep you up to date on the latest news on the creation and evolution issue. So in a moment, you'll receive this form. And if you could do me a favor and pass that through so that everybody gets a chance to sign up and stay informed on the latest news. Because how many people here know that kids hear about evolution 24-7? I mean, and if that's the case, where are they going to hear 
a biblical side. Is it going to be when they go to school? Certainly when they turn on TV, right? How about when they get to the university? So please understand the heart of our ministry is to see believers like you and giving this information to both your children, your grandchildren, and those people you're trying to reach with the gospel. And you can find the answers here, which is where again? All right. Let's go ahead and get started with the presentation. Now, you Virginians can probably tell because of my funny accent that I come from a foreign land. It's called California. All right, that's true. I did live in the land of fruit and nuts for about 29 years, but I don't want you to hold that against me. I'm not a native Californian. I was actually born in Baltimore. But when I moved to California, I did adapt to my environment like any good organism should. And I'll prove it to you. Here's me catching a wicked 12-inch wave, all right? <clears throat> Luckily, my graphic artist helps make me look even better, all right? But I would like to introduce you to a uh, native Californian. This is Sammy. He's my friend, born and raised there. He fits the stereotype of a Californian, loves to surf, loves the beach. But get this, he's also a professional California beach lifeguard. Well, a number of years ago, he was assigned to Pismo Beach, and it was his day off. So he got on his quad, and he ran up and down the sand dunes all day long. It was a long, hot day, but he was enjoying himself. And as the sun set on the Pacific Ocean, he knew it was time to drive back to his camp and rest up for his next day's work. However, when he came to this very spot, there were a dozen people yelling, waving their arms to get his attention. So he drove over there, and as soon as the engine came off, they told him what the problem was. You see, there was a surfboard there at their feet, but the surfer was 100 yards off, and on this night, he was being beaten with waves with eight-foot faces down into the beach below, and the shells and rocks had him lacerated severely from head to toe. He was going to be losing his life. Sammy had a tough decision to make, because keep in mind, it was a treacherous surf, um, he had no flotation devices, and he was exhausted physically himself. So he decided to risk his own life, took off his boots and his helmet, struggled out, and was able to bring that man back to shore and saved his life. Let me ask you guys a question. Why did he do it while those other dozen people stood there and watched? Somebody tell me. He was trained. He was equipped. He knew the dangers that he was facing with those waves. But you know, I think that surf is kind of like our culture in a way. Those waves are crashing down on people that we're called to reach with the gospel. You know, questions like we just talked about and, you know, things like, you know, is there really a God? Does he love me? And ultimately it boils down to, is the Bible true? And you know what? In our culture, am I right that people hear that evolution and millions of years are a scientific fact 24-7? And folks, if that's the case, then the Bible wouldn't be true. So can you see how that would impact, um, almost like a tsunami that are pulling people away from the truth of God's holy word, that rock of truth in scripture. But I would like to start out with an important question today, and that is, are you willing to equip and train yourself with the answers to those tough questions that we talked about and many more, so that you can be the one that dives in and rescues the perishing while others just stand there and watch. 
Now, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, does this sound like a suggestion or a command? It's a command for every believer. And the word answer comes from a Greek word, apologian. All right? Now, that was a legal term used in the courts of law, and it described the reason, rational, logical defense that an attorney would use in order to uh, defend his client or, in the case of the other attorney, to prosecute the accused. So, this morning, does this sound like you? <clears throat> Are you prepared now? to defend your faith, including in the area where the Bible is being attacked more than any other place in our culture, in the creation and evolution issue. You know, a lot of people think that creation and evolution is kind of a side issue, but I'm hoping to convince you that it's not only important doctrinally, but actually important to each of you personally in your ability to share the gospel and effectiveness in, in sharing the gospel. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about science today. I, did, does anybody like science? Okay, some of you. And some, some of, somebody over there really likes it. <laughs> and over here, that's great. Well, if you didn't, don't like science, then don't pull out a pillow and take a nap today. I'm going to make it easy to understand, all right, and maybe even interesting. All right, but did you know there's actually scientific statements in the Bible? For example, in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, there's a phrase that occurs 10 times. It says that God created plants and animals to reproduce after their, what? Kinds. Now that basically means dogs give birth to dogs and pigs give birth to pigs and corn kernels bring us corn plants. Now, that happens in Virginia too, right? Okay, just checking. But really when you think about it, it's stating that the DNA that's created in the original created kinds, is passed on to the next generations, and although God built in diversity so that these creatures could adapt to their environment and change, still it's very clear that God created plants and animals to reproduce after their kind. But there's a very different story out there, isn't there? What most people hear is that it's scientific fact that over millions and millions and millions of years that one creature as it passes on its genetic information to future generations through the process of natural selection and random mutation, can actually change its genetic information to add information and become a completely different creature over millions of years. Now, do you see the difference between these two accounts? And you know what? I think our kids see the difference. You know, for instance, if they're going to be in science class and the teacher goes, okay, now this is science, here we're talking about facts. Now, if you happen to be one of those people that goes to church and you believe those Bible stories, and if those Bible stories give you purpose and meaning in your life, I won't hold that against you. You can believe those Bible stories, okay? But while we're here in science class, here we're going to talk about facts. You know, if you want to believe that millions of Israelites walked across the Red Sea on dry land with two walls of water opposing gravity. Now, if that Bible story gives you hope and purpose and meaning in your life, you can believe that. I, I won't hold that against you. But see here, this is science. Here we're talking about facts. Or if you want to believe that a man was in a fish for three days and was able to somehow survive, or that a man could walk on water that was not frozen, 
or that a man could be clinically dead for three days and self-resuscitate. Those Bible stories give you purpose and meaning in your life. I won't hold that against you. You can believe those. But you see here, this is science. Here we're talking about facts. So do you see the decision that has to be made? And you know what? It's not just our kids, is it? Do any of you have family members that think you're a little nuts for believing the Bible and its mythological and metaphorical content when science has proven that evolution in millions of years are true? So, are we ready with a defense for our faith in these areas? And if we're not, what's going to happen? But perhaps you've heard the Barnett Institute statistic that says that two-thirds of children raised in Christian homes by the time they get to be the age 18 are leaving the faith. Now, that's kind of a sobering statistic. And, of course, we're talking about somebody else's families, not ours, right? But to be fair, other denominations surveyed their own people when this study came out, came up with completely different percentages of those leaving the faith. But let me ask you guys a question. Which percentage is acceptable to you and your family? I mean, if you had a wound right now and you were losing half of your blood, would you do something about it? Yet, according to the statistic, there's some bleeding going on in our families. And we are commanded to have a defense for our faith. Jesus himself, he said, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe when I speak of heavenly things? And that's why we do employ PhD scientists around the world, not to be really geeky and nerdy, but to give you an easy to understand yet scientifically accurate account of how the evidence makes sense of the biblical historical account. <coughs> All right, now we're going to talk a little bit more about science today, but did you guys know that there are two different definitions of science? And when you're watching a science program or Opening up a textbook, they're flipping back and forth between these two definitions and not telling you when it's happening. Well, you see, on the one hand, what we have is what we call operational science. <clears throat> you know? It's the kind of thing we do in experiments. Do you guys remember the scientific method, maybe in junior high school, where you develop a hypothesis, you perform an experiment, you make observations, you record data, and you can repeat it? It's the kind of science that's done in the present, that's done right before our eyes in laboratories. You know, let, let's say, for example, someone here did not believe in the law of gravity, okay? We could do an experiment right before our eyes in the present. We could test that law, do an experiment, make observations, record that, and we could repeat it until we establish if that law is true, all right? It's the kind of science that brings us laptop computers and medical advances that benefit all of us. But... When we're talking about evolution, or for that matter, anything that happened in the past, it's not this kind of science. What we're talking about now is historic, or what many call forensic science. You know, let's say in the same way that someone here this morning believed that a fish over millions and millions of years of passing on its genetic information to future generations through the process of natural selection and random mutations, could actually add information to its genome that would allow it to have new novel structures that would allow it to walk up onto land, okay? If you believe that story, 
can you do an experiment to show that's the case? Can you observe it happening? Is it repeatable? Now, do you see the difference here? Okay, let me ask you a question. This is a fossil. Can somebody give me a nutshell definition? What is a fossil? Somebody. Don't leave me hanging, man. Yes, ma'am. Okay, very good. Thank you. An imprint. In this case, this was Freddy the fish. I happen to know his name, okay? He was swimming along happily, and then he got smushed. Okay, that's the scientific term. All right, now, let me ask you this. Does this fossil exist in the past or the present? Okay. Well, I heard, I heard different things here, but this fossil, let me ask you the question again. This fossil, does this fossil, this one right here that I'm holding in my hand at this very moment right now before you, does it exist in the past or the present? It exists in the present. You see all the fossils, all the evidence for that matter, you know, exists in the present. When we dig up a fossil, it doesn't come with a label on it that tells us how old it is, how it lived, or anything. No interpretation comes with it. No, no owner's manual, okay? But what we have to do is we take the evidence that's with us in the present, and we paint a picture of how we believe that what happened in the past. Because you see, wait, let me check. No, the evidence does not speak for itself. It has to be interpreted. All right? Now, let me ask you another question. With a show of hands, who has the most evidence, evolution or creation? How many people say evolution has the most evidence? How many people say creation has the most evidence? All right, let me see if I can ask you a follow-up question. When the paleontologist is looking at the fossil record, okay, with the evidence that's available in the present, do the creationist and the evolutionist, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? And when the astronomer is looking up into the heavens and sees, has some light from a distant galaxy come back into his spectrometer, do the evolutionists and the creationists, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? So let me ask you the question again. Who has the most evidence, evolution or creation? Okay, some of you are getting it, but I've got some deer in the headlights looks from some of you. Like, what? So let's go ahead and do our own experiment. Take a look at this fact. Go ahead and draw your conclusions. All right, here's the hypothesis you are to consider. What was this originally? All right, what's missing? I'll make it easier. Multiple choice. How many people think it was A? How many people B? C? No optimists in this crowd. Okay, how many people think it was D? All right. You want to know the answer? Okay, I want you to think about this before you answer. Why did you look for something missing? Scientifically, why? I told you to. What I did is I gave you what we call in science, we gave you a presupposition. That's the big word that means an assumption when looking at the evidence. So congratulations, you were completely consistent with your presupposition, but you were completely <laughs> wrong. And some of you are going, well, you tricked me. But you see, that was my point. Okay? Because it happens all the time. And if there's anything that you're going to remember from this morning, will you please remember the next thing that I'm going to say, especially young people, not just for days, weeks, or months, but literally for decades. Remember this. When you're watching a program on evolution, opening up a textbook, reading something in a magazine, whatever it may be, 
about evolution in particular. You are not being given facts. You're being given an interpretation of facts that's based on a presupposition that in the case of evolution is wrong. And we need to now be like the Bereans and find out really what are the facts. Historic science is like that TV show CSI. And I don't know if Pastor Gary allows you to watch such programs. I only watch it myself for research purposes. But in case you haven't seen it, okay, scientists are digging up facts and evidence about something that happened in the past. And they present it in the courtroom to two opposing attorneys and to a jury. Everybody sees the same evidence. Yet one attorney is saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, obviously you've seen the evidence and it's very apparent that my client is innocent. While the other attorney is going, no, jury, look at the evidence. It's so clear. Obviously he's guilty. And this one's going to go, whoa, jury, did you catch that? Ladies and gentlemen, did you catch that he's misinterpreting the evidence? He's obviously innocent. And this one's going to go, I'm not the one misinterpreting the evidence. He is. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, obviously he's guilty. But you know what? In this case, in the creation and evolution issue, most people that we're trying to reach with the gospel have only heard one side of the story. And they're not here this morning. I don't blame them. But if that's the case... Who is going to tell them the other side? All right, we're going to look at a little bit of evidence that makes sense of the historical account of the Bible. And I would like to start out with an icon of evolution in millions of years, the Grand Canyon, which gives me an excellent opportunity to slip in a family vacation shot. But if you were to go to the Grand Canyon today, you would find, you would be told that it took millions of years to form and erode this, these massive layers. And you know what? When we look at the process of sedimentation that happens today, that's the laying down of layers. Indeed, the process that we observe today is very slow. So, if what happens today is always what's happened in the past, then I grant you it had to take millions of years. However, did you know that the evidence is virtually irrefutable that these massive layers were laid down by water. And where do we find these layers? I mean, the Grand Canyon to be sure, but do you notice whenever they do a road cut in the side of the hill, do you see what you see? In fact, if you go anywhere in the world, you'll find sedimentary layers everywhere. And guess what we find inside those layers? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Can you think of any historical event in the Bible that might explain massive sedimentary layers laid down by water, including the evidence of dead things covering the entire planet. Does anything at all come to mind? Uh, yeah, you got it. What is it? All right, the flood of Noah. Absolutely. And you know what? I had a young man about 16 years old come up to me when I was talking about uh, this, and he said, you've got to be kidding. You say you're scientific but you believe the Bible because you know what? Your Bible says that the highest mountains in the world were covered by water and there's not enough water to do that. Ha, gotcha. So how do you answer a question like that? I get excited. I can show them this. You guys remember from junior high school, 70% of our planet is covered by very, incredibly, extremely deep oceans. In fact, did you know that if you were able to 
bring the ocean basins up and push the mountains down and reform our planet like a perfect sphere, just like a basketball. Did you know that there would be almost two miles of water covering the planet with just the water that's in the oceans today? Now, does that sound like enough water for a worldwide cataclysmic flood? Especially with what we now know about plate tectonics and the physical forces that God apparently used in order for the flood to occur in the first place? And you know what's even more exciting than that? Because guess what? In the sedimentary layers of the highest mountains in the world, including Mount Everest, those layers that are now at the top of those mountains include fossilized marine invertebrates, clams, and crabs, indicating that those layers now in those very high mountains were one time underneath the oceans, just like God's word has been telling us all along. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you guys see the evidence? Okay. It doesn't take millions of years in the story, excuse me, the history of Noah's flood is supported by the evidence. Speaking of millions of years, I was told that these layers, 28 feet of layers took, you know, they should take millions of years, wouldn't you think? Or at least thousands, right? Actually, in this case, these layers were laid down in three hours. On June 12th, 1980, right after the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which made a little impact on me since I was 63 miles from that volcano when it erupted, and this is a little bit of the three inches of ash left in my parents' front yard. Also an excellent opportunity to slip in another family vacation shot. But if you were to go to Mount St. Helens today, you would find this canyon. Now, this canyon is huge. It's 140th the scale of the Grand Canyon. And if you weren't there to see it form, you might assume that it took a really long time for that little bitty river to carve through those layers of rock, but you would be wrong. Because this canyon was carved in only one day, March 19th, 1982, after a flow came through here at highway speed, cutting through the then soft layers, which have now been turned to stone. Now, does that remind you of anything else you've seen before? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the evidence? It doesn't take millions of years, just the right conditions that would be brought to us by a worldwide cataclysmic flood. Now, that same guy that challenged me about the water, he said, whoa, you're talking about fossils, and everybody knows it takes millions of years to form a fossil. Ha, gotcha. So, how do you respond to a question like that? I get excited. I can talk about how fossils are formed. If you were to open up a textbook or maybe go into a museum, you're likely to find this explanation where Mr. Dinosaur dies, uh, sinks, and then over millions of years is slowly buried, and then millions of years through the process of permineralization, turned to stone, and eventually discovered by an archaeologist or maybe an erosional event, uncovered these bones. But you know what? That made sense to me at one time, but is this really what we observe in the real world? You see, a number of years ago, I took my daughter to Walmart, and I bought her two goldfish. She named them Romeo and Juliet. Now, that was Thursday. Saturday, 5 a.m., just two days later, she's yelling from her room, Daddy, come in here, look, quick, hurry, hurry, quick. And I want to let you know, at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, I'm a very patient, kind, gentle father. As I came into the room, and I said, what? She goes, look, Daddy, Romeo is kissing Juliet. 
And I rubbed my eyes and came in closer, and I said, no, honey, actually, Romeo is um, eating Juliet. <laughs> Poor Juliet. Do any of you guys have fish tanks at home, and where do you find your fish when they die? On top. If you don't believe me, do an experiment this afternoon. Get a drop of cyanide. Put it in. <coughs> no, just kidding. But you see, this is what happens in the real world. And when those high-definition documentary cameras are on the ocean bottom, is it true that we see thousands or at least dozens of sea creatures lying there on the bottom waiting for millions of years to slowly be buried? Is that what we see? No, you see, if I really wanted to make a fossil of my daughter's remaining goldfish, what I had to do is get a shovel of concrete, sneak into her room in the middle of the night, and put it in there really quick. Yeah, my wife didn't think it was funny either. But is there any evidence that supports this idea that the only way we can get a fossil is through rapid burial? Well, take a look at this. Here's a fish that was buried so quickly it was caught right in the middle of having lunch. Or... How about this? Here's an ichthyosaur in the process of giving birth. Now, ladies, I've heard your stories of long labors, but really millions of years? How about this? Here's a hat that it took only 20 years. You might say it evolved from a soft hat into a hard hat. Or here's a bag of flour after only decades turned to stone. And this teddy bear, three to five months to be completely calcified be called a fossil. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, do you see the evidence? It doesn't take millions of years. It takes the right chemical conditions that would be brought about by a worldwide cataclysmic flood. I have an important question that I want to ask you. Did you guys understand everything I just shared with you? Was I talking over anybody's head? It was easy to understand, but more importantly than that, can you picture yourself sharing this kind of information? Showing people that contrary to that idea that they hear 24-7 that evolution and millions of years are a scientific established fact and that the Bible can't be true, how cool would it be to share some of these and many more things that, that people can understand so that you could show them that the Bible is true? Because you know what? Guess what else is in the Bible? the gospel. And as Jesus said, if they don't believe the earthly things, how will they believe the heavenly things? And that's what we're called to do. Now, I know I've talked about millions of years a few times, and I know some of you are probably thinking, well, what's the big deal about millions of years? I mean, the Bible, after all, is a book of morality. Shouldn't we just stick with the important doctrines of the Bible? But, does adding millions of years into the Bible, if we could do that, do you think it might impact any important doctrines? Well, let's take a look at that. You know those genealogies that are in the Old and the New Testament? There's a lot of them. God must think they're pretty important. I think one of the reasons is he's definitely trying to show us that Jesus is a direct descendant of Adam, right? And it's interesting because in the Old Testament it says so-and-so was sold when his son was born and he was sold when his son was born and he was sold when his son was born and he was sold when his son was born. And you know that even this afternoon you could do some simple mathematics, add up those generations, and you'll get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Abraham. Would you agree with me so far? Okay. Now from Abraham, God is very specific. 
to talk about how long the captivity in Egypt was, how many years the exile was, um, and then when uh, king so-and-so was uh, ruled for this many years, followed by this king for so many years, this king by so many years. Did you know you can do some simple mathematics and add up the generations Adam all the way up to Jesus, and you'll know all the history and how much time it was, right? So if you're going to force millions of years into the Bible, can you fit them between Adam and Jesus? If you're going to force them in, they have to go before Adam, but now we have a problem. These fossils we're told took millions of years are dead things. That means we have death before the fall, bloodshed, in a paradise that God said was perfect. Now, does it sound like we might be touching on an important doctrine of the Bible? Let's look at this even further. In the last verse of Genesis 1, God said for the seventh time that his creation wasn't just good, but this time he said it was what? Very good. So what does a very good world look like? Well, check this out. Just a couple verses earlier, God said, I give you plants for food. All right, so not to disappoint you, Virginians, but if this is true, in the original paradise God created, there was no barbecue, no death of animals. But notice in the next verse, he gives the animals the same command. He says, I give you plants for food. So that would mean in the original paradise that God created, both man and animal were what? Vegetarian, which comes from an ancient Hebrew term that means bad hunter. But don't worry, if you had some bacon with your eggs this morning, later on God said, just as I gave you green plants for food, I now give you everything for food, which don't use that as biblical justification to eat these things, okay? But notice a very good world is really interesting. You see, there was no sin. There was no death. There was no sorrow. There was no pain. We were created to be with our creator for eternity in perfect communion. But we don't live in a world like that anymore, do we? Because something went terribly wrong. God warned Adam and Eve, he said, that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely, what? Die. You see, this is when death came into the world. And you know, there's a a science called paleopathology that looks at the fossil record and they find evidence of how these animals died, and it includes things like cancer. So is there anyone here this morning that thinks that when God said his paradise was very good, it was perfect, that it would include something like cancer? And does it make sense that his paradise, this perfect place, would be built on a pile of millions and millions of years of death and destruction and bones? You see, the gospel pretty much is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was a paradise where there was no death, no sorrow, no pain. We were created to be with our creator for eternity in communion. Yet Adam sinned. And every descendant of Adam, which includes everyone in this room and on this planet, inherited that sin nature and with it the penalty of death. Yet one who knew no sin came and shed his blood and took the penalty of death upon him so that we who are in Christ in a new heavens, in a new earth yet to be, where God will create where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Is anybody else looking forward to that? 
And yet when we take millions of years of death and put them before the fall, aren't we turning the gospel upside down? If you don't believe me, listen to an atheist. This atheist in a debate with a Christian said this. He said, the most devastating thing, though, that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. He went on to say, now that we know that Adam and Eve were never real people, remember this is an atheist, the central myth of Christianity, he said, is destroyed. Because, see, if there never was an Adam and Eve, then there never was an original sin. And if there never was an original sin, then there is no need of salvation. And guess what? If there's no need of salvation, there's no need of a Savior. So I submit that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. And I think evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity. Can we combine them? It impacts the very gospel. And I've had people say, millions of years, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we don't want to cause division in the church. You know, after all, we worship a big God, and he could have created in any way he wanted. You know what? I, I agree, but don't you think it's about time that we allow God to tell us how he created through his holy word? And speaking of causing huge divisions in the church, what about this guy? This guy caused a huge division in the church, and this is what he had to say on the subject. When Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days, if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. For you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written, but... Since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantonly to turn his word in the direction you wish to go. Now, the nature of our culture might be better stated by a more modern theologian you're familiar with. And he said, they used to hang the whole thing on one hook. If you don't do these things, if you don't act morally, you're going to burn in hell. But listen to what he said next. Unfortunately, with what we know about Science, anyone who thinks at all probably doesn't believe in that fire and brimstone stuff anymore. So organized religion, you have lost your voice to hold up your moral hand. Does that sound like anything else we've heard before? He's basically saying now that science has proven evolution in those millions of years to be a fact, then that means that the Bible, its account of origins, is not true. So guess what? All the rest of the Bible is wrong too, including the morality. So you Christians have no right to tell me how to live my life. You guys can believe that. If those Bible stories give you purpose and meaning in your life, you can believe those. I won't hold that against you. You can believe what you want to believe, and I'll just believe what I want to believe. Okay? You can live according to that morality. I don't have to because your book's been proven wrong. And what we can do is, I'll tell you what, we can just coexist, okay? That way you'll be okay, and I'll be... Wait, am I going to be okay? But isn't this a reflection on the culture that, that's right here, even in this community? Notice where they put the responsibility. Science, and what they mean by that is that this evolutionary millions of years idea is proven that your Bible is wrong, so don't tell me how to live my life. And guess what else is in that scripture? 
the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save them so that they can be in a paradise the way that God intended to be in communion with their creator. So do you see how we as believers need to be in battle? Because how many people here know that there's a, a battle for the souls of men waging even right now? And on the front line, these kind of arguments, and we're called to demolish those arguments, to bring them down because they're set up against people not even knowing. It keeps people away from even coming to know Jesus in his mercy who took the penalty of sin on their behalf. Now, we've only had just a little bit of time. You know, there's so many more topics to talk about. And I, I used to ask questions about, you know, carbon dating and, and uh, how all the animals fit on the ark. What about the Ice Age? Um, you know, what about, you know, did God really create it in six days? And the answer I usually got with Scott, just have faith. <laughs> did that truly answer this command? Some of you guys, do some of you have unsaved family members? That, and maybe some of them think you're a little nuts for believing the Bible because science is so established. Better than that, can you guys picture yourself helping them to understand, engaging in that spiritual battle so that they could see that indeed there are truths out there that show that the word of God is true. But in order to do, if you're going into a battle, you need to have tools and ammunition. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but I remember about 10% of sermons for 10 minutes. I'm sure that isn't the case with Pastor Gary. But all week, can you imagine if you heard one of his sermons a couple, two or three times, would you understand it better? Okay, that's spending time trying to understand the truths of God's word. So I hope you don't mind me being very practical here. Um, you probably saw the resources that are in the table in the lobby. And what's in t contained in there are tools that you can use, as well as ammunition that you can use in order to show that evolution is not only wanting, but has some unscientific problems that are insurmountable. They're presented in such a way that you can present them. It's easy to understand. And you can be part of an army of believers that are making a difference, not just in the world, but right here in this community, being known as the church that's equipped, that has answers. So, like I said, I hope you don't mind me being too practical, but of the resources that we have there, the, most, the one that we get the most uh, testimonies of people coming to know the Lord is Creation Magazine. This has been around for 37 years. And it's not because believers like you are reading it or you hand it to your unbelieving family member. It's because you get equipped with this information and you're ready all the time because you stay up on the latest news on creation and evolution. It's 56 pages long. It comes out quarterly, but there's no advertising in it. And I don't know, do you guys get magazines at home? If you pulled out all the advertising, would you have 56 pages left? And yet what's left in here isn't just a recipe for butternut squash. Okay? It's information that will change the way you worship our creator because you'll see the awesome majesty of his creation. But more important than that, I hope I can challenge you that you would use it to equip yourself to start conversations with people you know, in a gentle and respectful way so that you can show them that indeed the evidence supports the Bible so that the Holy Spirit can have his way and they can come to see Christ as their Savior. 
So just as a little incentive, if you do subscribe today for a one-year subscription, you get a back issue to take with you. You can start reading this afternoon. And if you do a three-year subscription, you not only get a back issue, but two DVDs. This one is an award-winning piece um, that will not be embarrassing to show to any non-Christian. It's very, very high quality. And it asks the question, if Darwin were alive today and had the evidence that we have, would he come to the same conclusion? You also get a second DVD about Charles, okay? Written by one of the top geneticists in the United States today, the inventor of the gene gun, who shows that there's a lot of things Darwin didn't understand and doesn't in such a way that you can understand. Led him to numerous mistakes. So in a moment, I'm going to circulate some sign-up sheets. Um, and since it is a magazine, we have to mail it to you. We need to give s some addresses to you. But in addition to getting it mailed to you, you can also get the digital version, all right? And you get five copies that you could share with your children and grandchildren on an iPad or a tablet or laptop phone. They can each have their own copy of the magazine so your whole family can be equipped. So as you get this, if you guys, again, could do me a favor and pass those around, just fill that out and take this little coupon on the right off and come back to the table. My wife and a couple of the people here that have been nice enough to help will help out. I'm going to now just give you two examples of some information that would be in the magazine. And some people like this part of the presentation more than any other part. How about carbon dating, right? Proving millions of years, correct? Well, in the magazine, we reported how a sample was taken from a volcanic lava dome and sent to a potassium-argon dating lab, and they got an age of 350,000 years. Now, they extracted a mineral from that same sample, and this time they got 900,000 years, and yet they extracted yet another mineral, and this time it was 1.7 to 2.8 million years. Now, folks, it's the same sample sent to the same potassium-argon dating lab using the same mass spectrometer, the same scientists, but which date is correct? Actually, that is the correct date. Because this sample came from the Mount St. Helens Lava Dome, and we knew historically it was only 10 years old. And this is one of hundreds of examples just like it that you can share with people to show that it doesn't take millions of years. And then this last thing I want to share with you, last example, is pretty amazing. If you haven't heard this one, it's going to blow your mind. And that is that Dr. Mary Schweitzer, who's an evolutionist from Montana State University at the time, made a discovery that she called beyond belief, and it really was, because inside dinosaur bones, T-Rex, femurs in particular, she found red blood cells. You guys think about that for a while. These animals were, to were told went extinct over 65 million years ago. She said, I got goosebumps. It was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But of course I couldn't, what? <coughs> Believe it. I said to the lab technician, the bones after all, they are 65 million years old. How could blood cells survive that long? And it got more exciting. Years later, they dissolved the bony matrix and they found inside unfossilized soft fibrous tissue. She said it was flexible and resilient when stretched, returned to its original shape. This is dinosaur tissue from Dr. Mary Schweitzer, and it's happened over and over and over again since that time. 
At the time she concluded, she said, it was totally shocking. I didn't believe it until we'd done it, what? 17 times. Do you guys remember when we were talking about operational science that's done right here in the present, in this case, right there in the laboratory, right before her very eyes, but she said, I couldn't believe it. But you know what? I don't blame her. Because sometimes our faith is really strong and we have a hard time letting go. However, I have a different interpretation of this evidence. I'm going out on a limb here a little, huh? The dinosaur bones are not 65 million years old. We have lots of information on our website and on the books that we have out there that can help you. If this presentation, you find it helpful. Perhaps there's somebody in your family that goes to a different church anywhere in the world, any, any state. Come, I can give you a pastor's packet that you could give to that pastor so that we could spread this message. We have some free tracks out on the table. Um, also, our website is free, which is what, everybody? Um, the magazine, as I said, isn't the best resource. But some people have already asked me, besides the magazine, what should I do? And I would say the best thing outside of that is the answers book. Answers the 60 most asked questions we get after these presentations about things like carbon dating, how did the animal spin on the ark, uh, the ice age, and my favorite question, where did Cain get his wife when he wasn't able? Also, this book is the best-selling creation book of all time, and if you had a student that was about to study biology, you need to read this book and then hand it to that student and go over it together. And it comes with the answers book in a starter pack. Um, this project is the biggest project Creation Ministries International has ever done. Um, and the DVD, the video, won second place at the Christian Worldview Film Festival just last year. Um, it's a marvelous demolition of evolution. So if you know somebody that's been evolutionized and is having a hard time letting go, this will blow their minds. We have some booklets that cover these topics briefly. Um, all kinds of things that uh, find their foundation in Genesis. We have children's books, and even if you don't like reading, we've got you covered there. But see, information like this didn't even exist just 20 years ago, and I think right now is an exciting time to be a Christian. But I would like to conclude with the question that I started with today, and that is, are you willing to train and equip yourself with the answers to those tough questions that we've begun to, to ask today so that you can be the one that dives in and rescues the perishing while others just watch so that you can fulfill this command to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. All right, thank you.